nothing particularly significant or important. It wasn't uh, terribly dramatic. That boy needs therapy. That boy needs therapy. Lying down on the couch. That's crazy when we've got effective interventions at our disposal. What does that mean? Artifact sizes, empirical questions answered left and right. A lot of psychedelics became illegal. A lot of the psychedelics became illegal. Transcranial magnetic stimulation. Life is rubbish. For all of us. Welcome to the show. The Frontier Psychiatrist. Let's go. That boy needs therapy. That boy needs therapy. All that's going on here is that these people do not have a language for talking about their thoughts and their feelings. And as soon as they start talking about their thoughts and their feelings, they don't have to do crazy things. They don't have to do crazy things. All right, all right, all right. Welcome, everyone. We are so pleased to be with here for you and with you for another episode of The Frontier Psychiatrist. The Frontier Psychiatrist is the Clubhouse Creator First Program, and it is for pioneers on the frontiers of the mind and the media. Today we are talking about mental health influencers and what can happen when social media algorithms elevate mental health misinformation. Please raise your hand if you would like to contribute to the conversation, and make sure your profile has uh, some content so we know you're not a troll or just somebody who's bored. Actually, being bored's fine, just not a troll. Um, also, <laughs> just want to give a shout out to uh, one of the uh, frontier psychiatrists who is also, uh, believe it or not, a uh, professionally trained uh, s- um, sound engineer. Um, and that's Dr. Owen Muir. He, he will be doing the recording of today's show. And um, those will be shared as excerpts on, um, for a podcast for subscribers of the frontier psychiatrist.com. So at this point, I will uh, get over my stumbling words and I will turn it over to your host. The, uh, hey, the host, that's, that's me. Um, so I'm Dr. Owen Muir, and along with Carlene McMillan, MD, we are the Frontier Psychiatrists. Thanks for listening. Um, so for those that don't know, um, me and Owen are both adult and child psychiatrists, and uh, we are married. Uh, we're the founders of the Sphere Club here on Clubhouse. Um, and so today's show is really because over the past several years, um, I've noticed just a major uptick in my patients sort of asking about various psychiatric diagnoses they've seen on, on TikTok or YouTube, some of which are not even real disorders. I'll be like, I have no idea what that is. Um, so today we're really going to explore the rise of mental health and influencers who spread questionable and actually sometimes just downright false uh, mental health information. And I think we're also going to highlight folks, including many on this panel today, um, who share really wonderful information. And to get us alert and oriented, the following is some audio from TikTok where people are at least saying they have a variety of psychiatric problems. I am a to Sprite. And when I talk, you can hear rain sounds at the back of my voice. Because I'm a water spray, I kind of just act like... system with DID. For those of you who don't know, DID is Dissociative Identity Disorder. It used to be known as Multiple Personality. I'm Siren, and I'm the gatekeeper for the ecosystem. I, unsurprisingly, am a non-human alter. But I'm cooler than everyone else, because I'm a mermaid. 
What's your name? Chai. How old are you? Eight. Education. The point that the commenter is making over there is that all of the alters in a DID system would have the same brain. The answer to that is technically yes, but also no. We usually can't whistle that well, but we have a whistle tick now. And throughout the day, it's got progressively clearer and louder. I'll get into what that was, and then I'll get into a little bit of the history of it, too, because I think the history of how these things build on the Internet is, like, kind of underrated. But, uh, yeah, so what you just heard was, like, basically a lot, mostly on TikTok, sometimes on Instagram, but pretty much exclusively on TikTok, uh, people kind of blogging, vlogging about their uh, DID um, that they have. It, it, they also do a lot of Tourette's. Uh, so people are saying that they have DID, they have dissociative identity disorder, they have Tourette's, they have ADHD. Um, but it seems as though the way they're portraying it might not actually be those things. And it kind of hooks into an older history. I mean, the internet is fascinating because although it's very young, you can kind of see the history kind of like repeating itself. It's always in a cycle of culture, but every time it cycles, it gets that little bit more extreme. So you see in like early internet, like Tumblr, you see a lot of arguments about people, quote unquote, self-diagnosing. Uh, and I'll leave that to the medical professionals to talk a little bit more about that. Um, so early on, people would have these long lists of disorders that they have on their profile page. That kind of uh, went out of fashion, a lot of debate going on back and forth about whether self-diagnosis is real, whether you can self-diagnose. And now we've seemed to gone back on that cycle, but are accelerating rapidly into people really laying down that they have DID, showing it in their profiles so that people can have the experience or see the experience of them. So mostly from TikTok, also Instagram, short little videos people talking about having what they're referring to as dissociative identity disorder, which also is a diagnosis in DSM-5, but may not be the same thing that they're describing. Exactly. And and DID seems to be the current uh, fad of it. Uh, and you're exactly right. But we're also seeing some more controversial things happening, right? So instead of just having DID, now we've gotten to some things that are really kind of... Um, yeah, controversial. Like, for instance, what if you have a little or like an underage, uh, you know, identity, I guess, alter, they call it, or system, uh, and you also have an OnlyFans account, and you also have sexual experiences and kind of very kind of strange, controversial things around this, and it's kind of like tearing it apart. So the main place to observe this stuff, although... I hate to recommend anything with the word cringe in it uh, is Reddit, uh, the subreddit r slash um, fake disorder cringe. I, I don't know if the naming of that is, is good or bad. I'll leave that up to you. But um, You can find a kind of compilation and discussion of all of these things there. 
So, you know, I, I looked at some of these Reddit forums. There's fake disorder cringe. There's munch snark as in Munchausen's illness fakers. Munchausen's the list goes on and on. Um, you know, and I think one of the, the problems of those and why I didn't invite, you know, the people that run those here was because they do engage in a lot of like, is this person faking? Let's out them and all of that. And that's not what this is about. This is this is really about, you know, how does this phenomenon kind of get co-created? Um, how can we sort of separate, you know, the really good, helpful content from stuff that is, you know, not only bad content, but like actively detracting and harming. So with that, um, I, you know, have brought together today just an all-star panel. Um, and I want to just kind of open it up to them. But first, let me just highlight who, who we have here today. So we have the amazing Jeremy Fox, uh, who is a licensed therapist with a specialty in EMDR for trauma. Um, and he is also a, re I recently learned, an active and responsible TikTok mental health content creator. Um, we then have Carly. She runs the YouTube channel called Ticking Together um, and is raising awareness about Tourette's. And I, I saw that she had posted some about this, this phenomenon as well. Um, then next up, um, we have Jessica, um, who runs a number of different channels across social media known as Multiplicity as, and Me. Um, her YouTube channel has over 200,000 subscribers, um, and it's dedicated to ending the stigma of DAD. Jessica Mayer is also, um, I, I think, a therapist, or at least in training to be a therapist, um, and I have found her videos to be extremely well done and informative, and so very much looking forward to hearing her perspective on this issue. Uh, next, we have Autumn Farr. Um, Autumn is the, uh, I guess, the editor-in-chief of Twa Magazine, which is about complex PTSD and dissociative disorders, um, and also runs a conference called Entitled, that's D-I-D, Entitled, um, to Life um, for individuals with, uh, with dissociative disorders that uh, we're, you know, we're proud to, to support. Um, here at, at, our, at Brooklyn Minds and Sphere. Uh, next up, we have uh, Gina Polici. Gina is a licensed social worker who has expertise in living with chronic pain and is the leader of the sex positive team in our practice. Um, she's going to touch upon a little bit about what RJ was getting into with the uh, sort of the darker side and the, the OnlyFans material. Um, Next up, we have Robert uh, Topi. So Robert is someone I came across when I was researching for this topic. He is a content creator who has over 1.2 million followers on TikTok. Um, and he recently published a video called Exploring TikTok's Garbage Psychiatric Advice. So uh, with that, um, and then we have Kat Jong and, you know, others who are sort of common uh, frequent Sphere Club visitors. Um, so with that, maybe actually... I think Robert, maybe I'll, t I'll turn it over to you since you just did that the video. Um, do you do you want to just talk a little bit about kind of what drew you to this topic? Um, I'm Robert, and I recently published, as you heard, I recently published a video about what I've been seeing on TikTok recently, and I think that little montage is pretty representative um, that uh, Dr. Owen uh, made is pretty representative of the kind of content that I have seen on TikTok involving people who have uh, DID and autism and stuff. And many of, and I've noticed that many of these people are self-diagnosed or uh, seem to say things that don't seem, don't align with what I found to be like medically correct. Briefly, what, what you're seeing, Robert, and what I'm hearing is people are saying, I know I have this problem because I worked it out. Is that getting it right? That is 100% correct. And for, for example, uh, 
Dr. Kat Chong, welcome. It's good to see you. Um, is there a problem with that? Hey, um, yeah, thanks for asking, you know, um, what, I mean, a major problem is that, um, you know, psychiatric diagnosis is very complex. Um, you know, there is a big manual for it, but also, you know, people's experiences when they're just kind of matching a list of symptoms from the internet lacks a lot of the nuance and kind of rigorous, um, process that happens when somebody actually goes into the office and says, okay, you know, I'm having some issues and challenges, you know, what do you think is going on? And we often spend, you know, an hour or two hours kind of going through their life story and figuring out, okay, you know, what is happening A, now in this moment? And then B, how does that relate to everything that has gone on in the past? Because people can have, you know, a momentary occurrence of things from, you know, a trauma in the present versus like something that's been consistent over the course of their life. Is that into your this question? is a great answer. <laughs> and, and like Jeremy, like, from when you started being a therapist to to where you are now, and, and I understand you're a trauma specialist, but like, how much different is your experience hearing people's stories and coming to a diagnosis now than it may have been when you started training? It's absolutely just a magnitude of ten difference. I mean, learning to scan more for body language and what's not being said right as well. And not just fitting into the, the box, learning what fits into that diagnostic category. Um, it, it takes a, a lot of experience rereading the text. I think postgraduate experience is really necessary to call yourself a trauma specialist, working in the neurology of trauma, things you're not going to learn in 15 seconds, unless it's a really good video. And just for a second, uh, Gina, who works with me, um, when when you've kind of noticed uh, me over time, like working, have I gotten any better at it in your experience? I would say yes. I think that when I first met you, because I know you out of a working context too. Oh yeah, that, for years, yeah, for many years, right? So uh, the language that you had was not the same when I first met you as as it is now, and as well as your ability to like use this mentalization that we have at our company and like think about it from other people's perspectives too. So like the good information that you have gotten from people has made you a better clinician. So that's part of why this is so important too. And to highlight for the audience, I was a MD doctor, medical school graduate the whole time that she's describing. So there is growth that, that we all get as clinicians by seeing tens of thousands of hours of people who are, you know, having problems and that that's all that comes into how we make a diagnosis. And maybe Carlene can say a little bit more about that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, th I think that, um, you know, we obviously place a, a privileged position on, on the clinical diagnosis. And I think the other side of the coin, which Robert articulated in his video, was that for many, there's not access to mental health care and accurate diagnosis. And so people are going to the internet and looking for information. Um, and, and I do think there's a really important you know, role for that. It's just how do we do that responsibly? Um, and and with that, I think I'd, I'd actually like to turn it to to Jessica. Jessica, welcome to to Clubhouse. Um, if you can come off mute and maybe could you just tell us a little bit about kind of who you are and how you've you know how you've gone about building your multiplicity and me um, empire? I guess you should say. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you, first and foremost, for having me. Um, I started my journey, my gosh, back in 2011, I was at university studying clinical and health psychology. And um, that was when I was diagnosed by one of the sort of specialist clinics in the UK. And it started to make a lot more sense to me. And I was kind of like, but, you know, in all my research, when I was you know, looking after my diagnosis about what's out there and what's going to make me feel better about having this condition, you know, because I felt like, well, I may as well give up uni. Can I ever work again? Can I drive? Can I have a family someday? Can I have any of this? Because everything I could find online was negative. It was either something that was in, you know, Hollywood films or it was like seeing people in straight jackets. And I started to think there's, there's, there's no hope for me. I'm going to end up just like this, or, you know, the stigma is going to be so bad, I'm, I'm never going to be able to, to get a job. And um, I kind of thought one day, no, I, I, I went back to my specialist, and I kind of described how I felt. And he said, you know, you, you've got to remember, this is a hidden condition, you know, you've got doctors, teachers, lawyers, nurses, they have dissociative disorders. And it doesn't necessarily stop their life, you know, people do continue, they, they learn to work with what they have. Um, and that kind of inspired me in a way. And I thought, well, if I can't see anything else out there online, maybe I need to do that in case someone is just like me and looking on the Internet like, well, where where is any support? Where is any hope? And so initially I just set out to be a, an anti-stigma person, I guess, like an anti-stereotype of what you'd expect somebody with dissociative identity disorder to be like. And um that's how I got the ball rolling, essentially. Yeah, and so you've built, you know, quite, you know, quite a lot of followers, and I think you're you're doing, you know, quite a bit of good education out there. And I know that some of your videos you cite, you know, research studies, and people can look them up. And obviously, we need more research into dissociative disorders. Um, you know, what what has been your impression of this this being, um, you know, suddenly being trendy? I mean, to go from something where you only saw negative stuff to this being something that's, you know, trending on on TikTok. Uh, what has that been been like? Um, I guess it's it's kind of worrying on both sides, isn't it? Like, you know, 10, 10 11 years ago, we went from having absolutely no representation um, or, you know, no positive representation to, I guess, sometimes, you know, the, the stuff that we see, although, again, you know, we, we've never call anyone a faker because again what people edit and upload online is not necessarily reflective of who they are as as people um but yeah I I guess now it seems quite whimsical in a way a lot of some of the stuff that we we do come across and um it takes away then from the seriousness of the disorder like what underpins the disorder what the disorder is all about and I think you know part of the you know if if it is all part of the you know dissociative disorder part of it I guess is that kind of disconnect right like sometimes you know it's 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 about really engulfing with that altar and really engulfing with like the inner world or you know it's getting lost in all of that but equally I think there's a really important balance that needs to happen and I think this is kind of why I kind of want to start parading about you know getting people to consider constructive criticism about what they're posting online say hey you know I don't know if you know but this is kind of how this is starting to make this disorder look this is you know it's taking away now whereas before like I said you know we barely had any like positive representation there was barely any knowledge about it now we seem to have a lot of knowledge but now a lot of disbelief so even though the word is out there there's also a lot of again these like you know the the reddits and the cringe accounts that are coming out it's it's all having an impact, but in a very different way, I guess, that I certainly didn't anticipate, you know, 11 years ago. 
Right. And, and I think this is a good point. It's like the idea of constructive criticism, um, because a lot of what I'm seeing is, is not that at all. Right. And it's just it's it's Tate and it's it's really, really negative. And I can't imagine that people are like learning or changing their behavior as, as a result of it, other than just like leaving the platform. Right. Um, and so even on the, the subreddits, I'm seeing like misinformation. Like I saw somebody saying, well, this person, you know, has DID or say they have DID and they're, you know, only 20. And, and obviously you can't get DID until you're 30. Right. That's not true. Right. So I don't know where that information is coming from. Um, Owen. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that, that we were talking about kind of offline before this is the difference between um, essentially faking for a reason where you want to get something out of it, like money or followers or something like kind of useful to you in kind of a regular, understandable sense, and the value of having the sick role, something that we, we call factitious disorder in, in the DSM, uh, used to be termed Munchausen's disorder. Um, and, and that's where people do things for essentially unconscious reasons. Like there's something they get out of being sick, which makes sense to them, but they don't consciously, um, know why they're doing the things that make them appear and get care for being so sick. Yeah. And the reality is we don't know the motivations of these people putting these videos out there. Um, and I think we all put edited content out there. We all put things that, you know, we, with the title of this room, we want it to be a little clickbaity, right? So there's there's that. But then sometimes people seem to be taking it one step too too far. And this brief pause has been brought to you by editing. Editing, how we make shows better than they would have been otherwise. Back to the show. And it's not like having, you know, an alter identity is something from foreign to our culture. Um, you know, Eminem made a career out of it with Slim Shady, right? This is a, this is a concept in, in our culture that it seems like has had kind of a mashup on TikTok between an actual medical disorder that comes from really severe trauma usually and the, the you know, the being a play or a, or a character you know, like Eminem might do. One of the interesting things that sometimes comes up, like in these kind of summaries of people with saying they have DID is that they have like fiction kin alters, which are like alters that are, they claim to have alters that are like fictional characters in that we know, like in pop culture, which just made me think of that too. It's like, like they'll be like, one of my alters is like uh, Ginny, from Harry Potter or something like that, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I also don't want to give the impression that this is just DID. Um, I think one of the other things that, that I noticed on here was that was Tourette's. Um, and there's actually been, I think an uptick in girls presenting with Tourette's it, to emergency rooms, uh, and, and to other specialty centers, um, recently. Um, did and you just say uptick or uh, Tourette's? I, 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 there was no pun intended there, but yes, I did, uh. did just say that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's, there's also a thing about suggestibility, um, and that people seeing these things and maybe thinking they're having them, but some of these videos I saw, um, really for, for the for the ticks seem to be people following sort of a hashtag trend. And um, Carly, I'm wondering if you could kind of weigh in because I, I know that you had observed some of these same patterns. Yeah, so um, I'm not a super big TikToker. I don't really go on TikTok very much. However, 
Um, I have seen a lot of these new hashtags coming up regarding ticks and Tourette syndrome. Sorry, I got rice. Um, ticks, sorry. Um, but basically what happens is there's this new trend where people wear these like hoodies over their face, but it's like the hood is covering their face. So it's almost like a, a hiding of their who they are and you can't really tell like oh this is this person they're very much hiding their identity and they will dance with music on and i got I, I, their tics will basically be in in the beat of the music and i feel like that's so very much a little bit iffy i don't know if that's realistic and i found that a lot of people are as we've mentioned faking tourettes and tics in the way to gain followers because there's a lot of TikTok influencers, uh, this trippy hippie Tourette's guy, Uncle Tix, who have huge platforms and they're providing education and awareness. But I feel like a lot of these younger individuals are latching onto the concept and being like, okay, if they can do it, I can do it too, you know? Hi. So one of the things that is unique about TikTok is a feature called trending sounds where you can actually look through and it's it's like an audio hashtag right so you look at what kind of sound people are putting in their video if they're not speaking like if they're playing that sound they typically dance or do something over it so there's been a, a trend over the past few months that there's different sounds that involve like play this and how you react shows that you've been through abuse or you'll dissociate <laughs> And it'll say, they say, and they'll caption will say, they say that this will make you dissociate. Well, first of all, we don't know who they is. There's not exactly a peer-reviewed journal citation for that. Second of all, encouraging dissociation is probably not a great practice. So that plays a huge role in shaping behavior. Um, just wanted to throw that in there. That TikTok has a, a very unique ecosystem with more shaping mechanisms than simply the hashtag alone. So I think that tends to amplify and accelerate some of the behavior. Amplified and accelerated behavior, like Jeremy moderating on Clubhouse. Thanks, Jeremy Fox. Also, we have a Substack. So if you like what we're doing or want to know how we're doing it, uh, the FrontierPsychiatrist.com is a fabulous resource for that thing. Uh, you can also text JOIN, J-O-I-N, to asksphere.club to be on our mailing list. Now, our teammate Gina. Of my time, this phenomenon reminds me a lot of the time that I spent working on adolescent psych units when I was getting my, my degree. There was this phenomenon, I don't know if anyone else here has ever worked on an adolescent psych unit, but there was this phenomenon of people in in the, on the ward, the, the adolescents there wanted to be the sickest there was like a competition between the adolescents there of who could be the sickest and really what i saw was going on with that was this like need for validation that like they were suffering and so when i think about why not just go with the create creativity I think that these people are looking for validation, that they're struggling. They're looking for recognition that they're struggling and at the same time, right, they're they're doing harm in the process. But I don't know that they're aware, really, that what they're looking for is that validation that they're suffering or that what they're going through may be just as bad as what others are going through. Because I definitely think in society we rank suffering. Right. Like everyday suffering is not as important as someone who ha has diagnosed DID or Tourette's or any other syndrome. Right. So I think that could be a response to the societal expectation of 
like whose suffering is the worst suffering. Yeah, Gina, I think that's a great point. And when we talk about, you know, Munchausen by proxy, Munchausen by internet, um, or the sort of more formal name, which is factitious disorder, we talk about people getting you know, getting some kind of intrinsic gain um, emotionally from that that sick role. Um, and I think it's very, very, a very, very powerful thing once people kind of get a taste of that. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things about a lot of these individuals is that they, they are suffering and they are sick. It may not be with the thing that they're, you know, presenting themselves with. And that's not really for us to, to judge. Um, it's more to sort of meet them with, you know, sounds like some empathy and hope that they can kind of get their voice heard. Um, I know, you know, Munchausen, it was named after like, I think a, a German baron who would sort of exaggerate his stories, you know, of, of gallivanting around war. Um, and it's gone through various phases. Um, for a while, um, there was a lot on the internet and there still is to some extent where people would form blogs and Kickstarters and things around cancer. Um, and then it would, they turn out, they don't have cancer, things like that. Um, and now I think, you know, maybe Jeremy, you could speak to a little bit about why these particular mental illness disorders are sort of the the new in vogue thing and and faking cancer is is less so or fake i hate the word faking but you know putting on that they have cancer when they yeah absolutely so the article from id which is a vice publication that says is illness appropriation tiktok's most troubling trend is a really good one to direct people to it's by harriet shepherd um in that article it talks a little bit about how TikTok involves a lot of fast motion to get attention. So I'll go a little deeper there. What my highest watched TikTok video is one where there's a lot of dynamic action going on. I'm st I stitched it, meaning I put something on the end of it, you know, some commentary on someone moving around really quickly. And it was a funny little video, but that speaks to the fact that TikTok is essentially a novelty, unpredictability, emotion machine, right? So what I mean by that is it rewards and pushes out content that people watch longer. What do you watch longer? Something that gets your eyes moving, your interest. It's unpredictable. What's going to happen? And when you're given up till now, it's going to be three minute videos soon. But up until now, one minute max, you've really got to get attention quickly through the eyes, through the ears. So disorders, unfortunately, that are audibly noticeable or that visually cause symptoms, kinetic symptoms are prime territory to get people's attention, to, to play well on TikTok. The congruence between the platform and the illness is very near. So I think that plays a huge role in it. Absolutely. And Jeremy, I, you know, I'm not on TikTok. I feel like the, the voice medium clubhouse is kind of more my speed. I'm not really much of a dancer. So Owen knows. Um, but you, you've put yourself out on there. Can, can you just tell us a little bit of like, why did you do that? And how do you decide, you know, this is like, I'm going to make this video today? Yeah, great question. So one of the things that I noticed is that there's a lot of other therapists on TikTok for one thing, and I can like compile a list if people want to get in touch with some really good ones to follow. Therapists of all ages, a lot of them tend to be millennials for obvious reasons um, because of the platform. But if you put in hashtags like um, TikTok therapy, things like that, you get all kinds of different videos and a lot of them are really good. And so 15 second to 60 second videos defining mental health terms 
in empirical terms really fights disinformation. And so it really plays well. If I think of something during the day that I've told a client, which by the way, I spend a lot of my session times now explaining to people what anxiety is, what depression is, what these different things are, and dispelling a lot of things that don't have really any empirical meaning. People are afraid they have disorders sometimes that they don't because they've watched videos on TikTok, by the way. So there is that negative element. And I think speaking earlier um, to David Coleman's part on here, some people are actually very relieved to not have what they thought they did. Um, and, and they, but, but they learned they had on TikTok. So I went into it because I saw that some other creators were producing some great content, like defining trauma symptoms, talking about it. So I go on and I talk about EMDR for a few seconds. It's a challenge for me to put things in a succinct, short format, get some information out there and hopefully spread awareness on what actual mental health issues look like and how to get support. I always direct people to go off-site and look for EMDR, look for licensed therapists. Yeah, I, I know a, a creator I really like on there. Um, he couldn't be with us today, but hopefully we'll come on a, an upcoming episode about um, the cosplay communities. Uh, his name is the Dread Behemoth on there, Brendan Nuremberg. He's a therapist in California. He does the most amazing TikToks about complex topics like attachment disorder, personality disorder. Um, one of the things he really does a lot with is like narcissism. So that's, we haven't really talked about this, but I think uh, narcissism, antisocial personality sort of and borderline personality sort of also do get a fair amount of airtime on here. Usually the narcissist is in the form of, you know, how to get rid of the narcissist or, you know, get how, what do you do if you're dating a narcissist? How can you tell? Blah, blah, blah. The, the BPD ones seem to be more adjacent to or integrated with a lot of the DID videos. And then the antisocial ones seem to be like, again, it's like if you blink along to this, if you, if you don't blink during the song, you're, you're a sociopath or, you know, sort of nonsense like that. But what I love about Brendan's videos is he just he breaks down things that like we read in textbooks that take forever and are really dry into like this really punchy uh punchy video um some of them are like you know kind of they're tongue-in-cheek and you know a little bit about you know not being so bipolar um and I think I, I shared them with someone who is, you know, an expert in the field and he found them offensive he said that's making fun of patients and on the contrary, it wasn't making fun of patients. People were liking it. They were relating to it. They got that he was, you know, com commenting on people who aren't taking this seriously. And so I just think it's really important that there is like a role for humor and parody if it's done, if it's done well. Um, and he does it really well. What do I think? Um, he's also adorable. One of the things that that kind of strikes me about this is that behind behind all of this is the power of the human mind to be uh, have our attention grabbed and kept and we really do follow reward right where our brains are set up to do stuff that our brains like and algorithms are essentially encoding um what we already are into and basically feeding us back the thing that we want so much. And so of course people are making videos that get a lot of likes because that's the thing that we're going to do. And if you put any carrot in front of anyone, they're going to go after it and figure out the best way to do it. And so when we're figuring out how to reward those things, we did exactly the opposite of the right thing it seems like on TikTok because we found like the perfect system to reward people for making really flashy videos about things that are have no relationship to necessarily truth or sensitivity or any of that uh, and get really endlessly rewarded for it. Um, so it's kind of bad on us.
So one of our co-moderators here is, of course, our teammate Gina, who is not only a therapist, but a sex-positive member of the BDSM community and has some info for us. Yeah, yeah. So the name of this TikToker is escaping me now. But uh, for a while when I was really using TikTok, um, you know, TikTok kind of guesses what you're into. And, and for those of you who don't know me in this room, one of the things I specialize in is kink. So my TikTok pointed me to a lot of kink. Um, and also I'm a therapist, so mental health stuff. So there was this person on TikTok, and, and she was very vocal about having been diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. She also identified as dominant within the BDSM and kink community. And it was very interesting because there was one video that she posted where uh, someone had commented on her video and asked her, what are your hard limits? And her response was, I have no empathy. I have no limits. And there was this large fight that started between uh, about this one video where kink talk or the kinksters were like, it is so bad. Like no one has no limits. And then there was this other half of people that were like, this is very ableist. You're just not understanding that this person has a mental health disorder and can't have limits because they have a mental health disorder. And what I also found happen a lot on TikTok is that there is a lot of new people to kink and being exposed to this, I can imagine was extremely confusing. And can you maybe for the audience that doesn't know this term ableism, um, could, could you maybe define that for, for us? Yeah, absolutely. So ableism, just like other isms, is a system of depression in which able-bodied people assume or create more difficult situations for people with disabilities. So that could look like something like not installing an elevator for someone who doesn't have the ability to walk up the stairs or making an assumption about why someone's acting a certain way if they have a mental health diagnosis. And how does that kind of come up in, in this world in terms of the mental illness stuff? Yeah, so I think in, in this particular sector, um, the people who were saying this is this is ableist, this is ableist, were saying that the kinksters who were saying, oh, that's a hard limit, everyone has hard limits, weren't understanding that for this person, they have no emotions and no regard for their own safety or the safety of others. That's the definition that they were using of ASPD, was that they had no regard for the safety of themselves or others. And this sounds like an awesome way to dodge responsibility, but we'll let Multiplicity and me chime in. You know, you can say my alter did it. It really doesn't matter. It's you as a whole one being. Um, you know, they've only been, I mean, like they, there was obviously the Billy Milligan case, which was very well known um, that uh, basically, you know, he, he sexually assaulted someone and blamed um, his alter for it. And, um, you know, he didn't go to jail. He actually ended up in a, in a psychiatric unit. Um, but that is literally one of one of the very, 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 very few cases um, in existence. So uh, people have this perception, again, that DID is about having a scapegoat. And that is stigma in itself. It's absolutely not like it's it's really not like if, if, if you do like follow back in the research, have a little look. There are practically no other cases. And yet because of this high profile one case, you know, it's kind of thrown this into, well, my alter did it. So it's not my fault. Um, but that's that's certainly not the way that we have to look at things. Otherwise, again, we're going down this irresponsible path, really, you know. 
um, because yeah, you, you have to kind of all face the consequences of said action, and it doesn't matter how how old a, a part is, or you know, if you need support to to handle a situation, then you need to go and get that support. You know, it's it's not just as simple as well. You, you can't blame me because my alter did it. And you know, we we I have I have seen over the years as well. You know, when people have been in situations where they're quote unquote in trouble um, for something that they've done they may then sort of put a, a little out, you know, a, a, a child alter forward and in this kind of, you know, sympathy provoking, oh, well, you can't tell me off because I'm I'm five and that's not my fault. Um, but I, I've kind of, over the years now, I kind of see that much more as a, I don't want to quite say manipulation tactic, but it certainly takes the, you know, it's a way to take the heat off the situation. And I'm going to diffuse the tension of wondering when the podcast is going to be over by letting you know it's now. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Frontier Psychiatrist Show and www.thefrontierpsychiatrist.com or text JOIN to asksphere.club to get in the mailing list. Thanks. Life is rubbish, you know, for all of us, for all of us, for all of us, for all of us.